As we, as we get started, I, I, I do want to just take a second um, and note that um, today, the one-year anniversary of the a passing of Mark Trotter. And um, Mark obviously meant and, and means a lot to this church and a, a lot to many of us in here. And um, so for Sherry and JC, um, I want you to know we're praying for your family. We love you guys. Um, you know, the Bible says as a family that we weep with each other and we rejoice with each other. And so I think, you know, we're doing a little bit of both of those today. We're weeping uh, because we still miss him. And, and yet we can rejoice because we know where he's at. And, and we know his investment in, in each and every one of us. Um, even if you don't know Mark, um, he's invested in your life. Through me, through Jeff, through many, many others. Um, and so, so I, I don't want us to, to ever forget, forget that. But I think he'd also want us to um, lift up God's word, and so that's what we're going to do. Um, I think even yesterday with Dallas and the men's meeting, it was a, it was a, a fitting weekend. I think uh, Mark would have been proud of that. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, we started in chapter 6 last week, and, and we looked at the attack on the leader and saw how Satan attacks a couple different ways, sometimes as that angel of light and, and sometimes as a roaring lion. And those attacks are to try to get us to compromise and, and come down off the wall for a while and team up with Samaria or the world, and then there are other attacks that are meant for conquest. And just... He just wants to defeat us to the point that we quit completely and we stop serving altogether. And Nehemiah faced all of that, but he responded biblically to it. So we learned how to answer those attacks through Nehemiah last week. And if you weren't with us uh, for that sermon, you can go back and, and, and listen uh, online and hear what those answers were. But what we saw was that ultimately the attacks of our enemy... However they're presented, however we face them, they're meant to elicit fear. And, and you know, we have a definition of fear in our head, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this today. But, you know, sometimes um, I, I think we, we misunderstand it because, because in a biblical context of fear, we're talking about fearing man versus fearing the Lord and fearing the devil through fearing man and, and what all that looks like. And so, so we're going to talk about that in some, uh, some detail today. But three times in, in Nehemiah chapter 6, Nehemiah states that the enemy was, was trying to elicit fear out of him and the Jews. And we looked at those verses last week, but I want to look at them again because this is really what we're going to focus on this morning. It starts in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 9, and Nehemiah says, for they all made us afraid saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And so we looked at that passage, and, and we saw the intent of what fear was the goal of the fear in their lives, so that the work would not be done. And then down in verses 13 and 14, we see a more personal aspect with Nehemiah. And then we'll look at these verses in some detail today, but it says, Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid. And do so in sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, think, up, 
Think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalat according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. And then one more time down in verse 19, it says, Also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. So I, I want you to know that unequivocally that, that our enemy has a goal when he engages in spiritual warfare against us. And it involves fear in some level. And again, not to like, whoo, you know, frighten us. But to put us in, in a position of where we're fearing man. And where we're fearing, when we're fearing him. Because, you know, that fear plays out in different ways. Because when it is a fear of man, it, it could be a, a fear of what people think of you. It could be a, a fear of, of what this is going to cost you. You know, things like that. And we've been talking about this tangentially for a, a couple of weeks now, this concept of fearing God versus fearing man or fearing the devil through fearing man. But for the next couple of weeks, I really want to dive into it deeper. So we're going to do sort of a mini, mini series on fear here in the midst of Nehemiah. In fact, we're going to look at verses 10 through 14 today, and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at those same verses again next week. Um, there, there are just a lot of principles related to fear in those few verses that, that I want to pull out for us. And then also how to have faith in opposition to that fear. And, and, and so today, I want to start out by, by just telling you the truth about fear. And that's the title of today's message. I want to break some myths and set something straight about this topic, all according to what the Bible has to say. Because in today's passage, we get a great lesson on fear, specifically regarding things we can control and things that we can't control. And, and this is important. This is really important to understand because whether you know it or not, Satan is attacking all of us through fear every single day. And maybe I don't understand history as, as well as I should. But I believe that statement has never been more true than during these last couple years that, that we've been dealing with COVID and everything surrounding it. And I promise you that this is not going to be a message about COVID or the politics surrounding COVID. But I do think it's a pertinent example of, of how the devil uses the world against us and uses the world against the mission of God. And again, it's not a, a political statement, so please stick with me. We know that, that today we're in, you know, an age of, of just increased technology. We're in the technology age. And we have access to and we receive information at an unprecedented rate. You know, through all the, the, the snows these past few weeks, you know, you probably saw those Facebook memes going around where, you know, saying, listen, and, you know, my generation, we had to wake up at 6 a.m. to see if school was canceled and turn on the TV and... And then it scrolled through in alphabetical order, and if you missed it, you're like, oh, it's got to scroll back through. And, and that, listen, that was my generation. Like, what, my parents' generation, like, what, you guys, I don't even know. You probably didn't even cancel school. Like, how do you get the word out? Like, radio? I don't know. I don't even know what happened. It's ridiculous. But, like, you know, today, the, like, the kids know before anybody else. They get text on their phone, you know. And so information is just so readily available. And, and, and that, of 
course, has its advantages, but, but don't be lulled to sleep. It also has its disadvantages. That's what our kids in tech class was all about, that we finished up um, that 9 a.m. Cl- class. It was really about that from a parenting perspective. And what is happening is that the devil is using the world system and our vast access to information to also peddle fear at an unprecedented rate. And I think he's ramping up his attacks because it's crunch time, right? It's the fourth quarter. And so we're, you know, it's a two-minute warning or so, and he's going no huddle, and the plays are coming fast and furious. And we're being hit by so much that our society today has developed both a culture and an industry of fear. So there's a culture where people just hang on and wait for the next set of bad news. And because of that, there is an industry. You see, our fear makes some people a whole lot of money. And the devil's in all of it, and we don't even know what's hitting us. And we're being constantly bombarded with something that's designed to cause us to be afraid. Because you know as well as I do, the next variant's probably just around the corner. And I'm sure it's going to be the worst one yet. But, I mean, that's, we might not even notice because we're probably going to be in World War III when Russia invades Ukraine. But I don't even know if we'll be able to deal with that because inflation's going to be so high, we're not even going to be able to eat. We're not be able to drive anywhere. Gas is going to be $8 a gallon. You know, and really, what's it all matter? Because isn't global warming or climate change, whatever it's called today, I can't keep track, isn't that supposed to kill us all anyway? And the beat goes on and on and on and on. Listen, our media is designed to be Chicken Little. And again, like I, you guys know who Chicken Little is? Right? The sky's falling. And if you only watch the national news, the sky is falling every single day. And it's because it is all part of this world system, which is ran by the devil, who is the God of this world. That's what the Bible tells us. 2 Corinthians 4.4, in whom the God of this world, lowercase g, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And since he is the God of this world, pulling the strings behind the scenes in this world, it should come as no surprise to us that the, the way we're attacked and the way we're bombarded with a, just a flood of information to make us afraid. Because again, as we are learning in Nehemiah, his goal is fear because that is what gets us off the wall. So we need to understand where fear comes from and how it is to be balanced by faith. We're going to look at the faith side of the equation more next week. But let me give you uh, uh, one of the world's definition of fear. And I'm giving you the world's definition because the world is our enemy and you need to know how they fight. And the world, and you can, you know, you can get a series of them, but they all kind of round into this one. I like this one. The world defines fear this way. It's an unpleasant emotion caused by an imminent threat to one's safety or security. An unpleasant emotion caused by an imminent threat to one's safety or security. So when you feel you're in danger, and that could be 
whether your immediate safety is challenged or maybe even your long-term security, the natural result of that is, is to be afraid, to feel that emotion of fear and anxiety or whatever. And listen, this is, this is obviously okay in, in some circumstances. It can be God designed it for our good. Like, for example, you should be afraid to walk out onto I-77 and dodge the oncoming traffic. Right? Play, playing real-life Frogger with cars going 75 miles an hour, you know, that should scare you a little bit. So there is a healthy fear of, of our safety and security that God has given us, you know, to, to help us stay alive, stuff like that. But I'm not talking about that kind of fear. What I'm talking about, because what we see in the Bible, specifically what we see in the book of Nehemiah, is fear that comes from the outside, right? If you're afraid because of something you're doing, I mean, you should probably just stop doing what you're doing. But when the source of the fear is something from the outside, and, and, and get this next statement, something you have no control over, then you need a biblical view. Because you don't want to be paralyzed by that fear to the point that you get off the wall. Because when you do, you're playing right into the enemy's hands. And listen, I, I think one thing we've learned over this past year is there is plenty we cannot control. For example, again, I promise you, not a political statement, but you cannot control whether you get a virus or not. I mean, at least you can't control it and stay on the wall. And, and, and you can take whatever preventative measures you think are appropriate. Do all of that. Fine. We've seen that doesn't guarantee anything. So when it comes to things that you have no control over whatsoever, that's where faith, that's where trusting the Lord has to come in. Because we still have a job to do. Virus or not. World War III or not, inflation or not, climate change or not. So we need to be sure that we know the truth about fear so that we can respond biblically to all the information that we're receiving from all sorts of different sources. And in our text this morning, Nehemiah is faced with another situation where there is an imminent threat to his safety and security from the outside. But he understands the truth about fear. So let's try to learn from him. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 14. Nehemiah says, Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabil, who was shut up, and said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid, and do so, and sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Samballot according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. Right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning uh, in need of hearing from you. 
uh, we need to hear from you this morning. This is a topic that I, that I think is an important one that, that we all are dealing with at some level. And Lord, we want to hear from you and, and, and know how to respond biblically to these situations. And so Lord, I pray that you use your word this morning to speak very clearly to each and every one of us. And we're all in different spots and we're all in different uh, stages in our walk with you. But Lord, you can meet all of us where we're at. And so I ask you to do that, Lord. I pray that everything that's said is true to your word. I pray that it is honor, honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, I pray this entire service is a sweet savor uh, to you, Lord. And, and again, that you're just glorified through it. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So you can probably see the situation that Nehemiah finds himself in here, right? He's been on the wall and they tried to get him off the wall and he, he didn't fall for that and and, and then they threaten him with an open letter, um, and, and, and he didn't go for that. He just defended his position in truth and then depended on the Lord. And now it's, it's escalating to the point that, that they're, they're conspiring to kill him. So his enemies are actively trying to kill Nehemiah. So in that sense, he has a reason to be afraid. But what Nehemiah does is he shifts his fear to faith. By fearing God. And he understands where true safety lies. That it doesn't come in trusting his own strength. It certainly doesn't come from trusting in the world. It only comes from trusting in the Lord. And here's the thing that I, that I want you to see. We're going to talk about what true safety is and what, where we get true security. But here's what you have to understand. How you define safety. Okay, when you feel safe and when you feel secure, how you define that is directly tied to who and what you fear. All right, so do you fear man or do you fear the Lord? Because your safety and security will be tied up in completely different things depending on who you fear. So here's the truth about fear from a biblical perspective. So surprise, surprise, I'm going to come at this like you need to fear the Lord instead of fearing man. Because that's what the Bible says. So here's the truth about fear and solving this issue of safety and security concerning things that we face externally. Because no matter what you try to do to control any particular situation, true safety is only found when you are inside of God's will. So let me repeat that. True safety is found when you're inside of God's will. Now remember that framing. How you define safety and security is based upon who you fear. Okay? But this is true safety. What the world wants to give you is false security and fake safety. And the reason why is because the eternal is more important than the temporal. All right, and that is especially true in today's, in the dispensation in which we live, today's church age. All right, I'm going to explain that as we move through this point. The, the reason why true safety is found inside of God's will is because the eternal is more important than the temporal. And we looked at these verses a couple weeks ago, but in the context of what we're talking about this morning, we need, to, we need to look at them again. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 says, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, 
and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. You see, the truth about fear is that many of us are fearing the wrong thing. And we're fearing the wrong God. We're fearing the God of this world. Not the one true God of all creation. Listen, again, it's tied to who you fear. And so true safety is only found if you are secure when you face God's judgment. All right, so stay with me on this. But we're spending so much time fearing COVID or World War III or inflation or health issues, whatever it may be, and yet don't spend near as much time fearing the judgment seat of Christ. At least, and, and I mean that in a healthy way, which, by the way, is called the terror of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11 say, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and everyone, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. And listen, the judgment seat of Christ, it doesn't have to be scary in that, in that same way that we are afraid of, of, of the things that attack us in this earth. But we should respect God enough, we should fear God enough that we live our lives in such a way that we don't have to fear him in that way. That we don't have to fear him the way we fear the things of this earth. Since we know his terror, we know how to live, persuading men, building on the wall. And as long as you do that, the judgment seat can be a day of joy. But if not, it's the terror of the Lord. And I also suspect in a, in a crowd this size that there are some people out here who do not have a personal relationship with God. Well, if that's you, can I ask you a question? What scares you more, physical death or spiritual death? And can I lovingly tell you which one should frighten you more? Spiritual, of course. But we're so ingrained in this world and the things of this world that we think true safety is tied to the physical, to this world and our longevity or security in it. And that's not how God sees it. And we can learn that lesson from Nehemiah. Look at verses 10 through 12 again, and let me walk you through this and prove this to you. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabil, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And though I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambal had hired him. So here's what's going on. Shemaiah was a hireling prophet. 
and he was working a plan in conjunction with Tobiah and Sanballat to try to trap Nehemiah. So he had shut himself up in his own house to give the impression to Nehemiah that, that his life was in danger too. That he was in the same position as Nehemiah, which of course was a lie. And the plan was for them to, to, to leave the house, take refuge in the temple, because their enemies wouldn't find them there. I mean, surely they wouldn't look at the temple. I mean, plus, that, that's got to be the safest place of all, right? I mean, if God is going to protect them, wouldn't the temple be the place he would do it? Well, let's go to the church house. I mean, there's got to be safety there. But the fact is, that wasn't true. There wasn't safety in the temple, and Nehemiah knew it. I love his response in verse 11. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go in to the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And I'm, and I'm going to really save that verse for next week. It's one of the focuses that we'll look at next week. But what he was saying was, I'm, I'm not going to run and hide. I have a job to do. And I have people to lead. And what God has told me to do is more important than even my own life. And if God wants to save me, he is certainly more than capable of doing that. But I don't have to take this into my own hands. And if he would have taken it into his own hands, what would that have told the people following Nehemiah? If he just, you know, turned tail and ran and went into hiding. And that would have been a terrible testimony of, of his trust or his lack thereof of the Lord, to all those that he was leading. And this was because his life was wrapped up in God's will and, and God's plan for him versus his own idea and his own thoughts about how his life should go. Nehemiah knew that the safest place was to trust God even if that meant his physical death. And we actually see this principle throughout Scripture. So I think of Job, a man who suffered incredible torment. And one day he lost all of his possessions, his ten children, and his health. And you think you've got problems? Read the book of Job. And then his wife, the big encourager that she was, <laughs> told him to curse God and die. But even going through all that, look at Job's response in Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You see, Job knew where true safety and security was found. And it wasn't in the physical. This also makes me think of very popular examples. Daniel, his three friends who were thrown into the fiery furnace. And as they were facing Nebuchadnezzar, they said these words in Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Because they knew where true safety was found. And praise the Lord, Jesus did too. He didn't desire the cross. In fact, he knew what it meant. And as he agonized about it the night before he was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, 39, he prayed to his father. It says, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That was the cup of his father's wrath. Nevertheless, 
not as I will, but as thou wilt. And when faced with the choice of his own will and and saving his own physical life versus God's will, which included physical death, he chose his father's will. Because he knew physical safety wasn't true safety. Even Jesus was way safer inside of God's will than outside of it. And so are you. So am I. So when it comes to this life and things of this, this life, you know, what, what does it mean? What means more to you? Is it this life or is it the next life? Where does your real fear lie? Or, or, or let me just say it this way. I'll just, you know, we'll just, we'll just go there. We're in this together, so stay with me. But with Nehemiah and Job and Daniel and Jesus in mind, what would it take for you to renounce your faith? Or just to get you to choose your physical will over God's eternal will? Would a million dollars do it? Or on the flip side, would a death threat do it? Would $100,000 do it? Or how about, a, how about a bad diagnosis? Would that do it? Listen, maybe, maybe just a nice bonus check this year. Would that do it? Being faced with a job loss. Would that do it? I don't know. But we all need to be able to answer those questions. And I assume the answer is different for everyone. But the answer gets to where you find your safety and security, and what it is that you really fear. And listen, I get it. This is a hard saying. And it may seem easy for me to boldly declare it from up here, but I struggle with these same things. And I, and I like to think about and talk about these Old Testament characters and their stories because they all end well. You know, with Nehemiah, I'll give you the spoiler. He never gets killed by his enemies. Job, everything was restored to him. His family, his health, his possessions twofold. Daniel's friends, they got to spend the night in the fire with Jesus, and then Nebuchadnezzar promotes them in Babylon. And Jesus, well, God raised him from the dead, and he's sitting on the right hand of his father today. All ended well. And I like to think about those stories because of that. But let's be honest. What's true of the Old Testament isn't exactly true of the New Testament. In the Old Testament and with Israel, God did focus more on physical things. It was a kingdom of heaven context. Today, that's not the case. We live in a kingdom of God context, and the focus in the kingdom of God is spiritual. It is inside us. And listen, if that doesn't make sense to you, when I say kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, if that doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. Just know that today, in the age that we live in today, God is more concerned with the spiritual over the physical. And that does not mean that he ignores or doesn't care about the physical at all. He cares about everything with us. But that is not his focus 
in this dispensation like it has been in the past. And it's not supposed to be ours either. You see, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. But man, that's so hard for us. We don't want that. We want to walk by sight. We want to see the goodness of God that we sang about this morning in our physical lives. And sometimes that happens. God is good that way, praise the Lord. But we, today, we have no promise of that. And sometimes, quite honestly, it doesn't happen. And sometimes, really bad things happen to Christian, God-fearing, God-loving people. Listen, in the church age, we have it great. We have it better than anybody else has had it, in my opinion. But there's certain things that they have that we don't. There's certain promises that God gave to Israel that we don't have. And sometimes bad things happen to Christian, God-fearing, God-loving people. Does that mean God doesn't love them? No, it doesn't at all. And if you think that, you're confusing your dispensations. God provided physical protection to Israel in the Old Testament when they were following him. They had that promise. We do not have that same promise. Our protection, our safety is found in God's will. And his will for us is all spiritual. It's our salvation. It's our sanctification. It's our holiness. It's our conformity to Christ. It's all those things. So I just talked about Nehemiah and Job and Daniel's friends and their miraculous endings where everything was restored and they're raised to life again, all this stuff. Well, how do those same stories play out in the New Testament? All of Jesus' disciples... They were martyred, with, with the possible exception of John. And if he didn't die a martyr, he died while in prison, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. How did Paul's life, the greatest Christian that's ever lived, how did Paul's life end? He was martyred. Timothy was martyred. And they just laid the foundation for a long line of Christians who have given their physical life, laid down their own blood because they knew their safety was not based in the physical. It was based in the eternal. So again, I know it's a hard saying, but here's, here's what I know. When it comes to your safety and security, God is not interested in only being your personal 911 service for physical matters only. And listen, hear what I'm saying in all this. It's not that he doesn't care about the physical. He does, and, and we pray for those things all the time, and we should. We'll keep doing it. I'm not telling you to stop praying for physical things, for health, for jobs, all of that, because God cares about everything. But he does have a focus in this dispensation. And so, so let me just ask you this, don't you at least, at least in your heart of hearts, whether you're willing to admit it out loud or not, do you at least recognize the hypocrisy 
and pleading for God's physical safety and security if at the very same time you're not even considering God's spiritual desires for your life. True safety is found in God's will. Mark 8.36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? But listen, for you to fully comprehend God's will and all that it is that he desires for you, you need to understand the second truth about fear, where real safety and security is found, and that is true safety is found when you are informed of God's word. You are safe if you know what God has said in his word and you're willing to follow what he has said in his word. If we go back to our story in Nehemiah, we, we see that he was able to discern that this plan of, of Shemaiah to hide in the temple, it was really a trick and a plot to, to, to trap him. Because he, because he knew God's word. I'm going to show that to you. Nehemiah 6.13 says, Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. You see, what Shemaiah forgot, or at least hope, was hoping Nehemiah would forget, but what Nehemiah didn't forget and what he knew was that this proposal to hide in the temple was a violation of the law. Nehemiah said they were hoping his fear would lead him to sin. That's what it says in verse 13, and sin. And this is because only the priests were allowed to go into the innermost parts of the temple. And Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He was a layman. Ezra was the priest. We're going to see him in this book pretty soon. But in 2 Chronicles 23, 6, it says, But let none come into the house of the Lord, save the priest, and they that minister of the Levites. They shall go in, for they are holy, but all the people shall keep watch of the Lord. And this was very serious stuff. When God set up the tabernacle, while the Jews were still in the wilderness, he set the ground rules. And in Numbers 18, 7, speaking to Aaron as head of the Levitical priesthood, he says this, Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest office unto you as a service of a gift, and the stranger that cometh nigh or cometh in shall be put to death. So Nehemiah was clued in to what his, what his enemies were trying to do because he was informed. He knew what the word of God had to say. And man, there is so much truth. In that sentence right there. And many times we end up outside of God's will, not necessarily because of willfulness, but because of ignorance. And, and I'm, of course I mean ignorance to God's word. Ignorance of God's word. And listen, the result of ignoring and being uninformed of God's word absolutely can lead you to fear of man. Which will lead you to sin. That's exactly what God told Israel in Deuteronomy 28. He was prophesying to them about what would happen if they didn't obey what he told them and all the curses that would come upon them. He starts in verse 15 and says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all this commandments, all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So I want you to notice how he says these curses will come upon them if they don't hearken unto his voice. If they ignore or don't listen to his words, there's some bad stuff that's going to happen. 
And it goes on for the rest of the chapter. And this is a long chapter. Again, that dispensation didn't have it great either. Like, they, I mean, listen, we got it great. They had some hard stuff. And of course, it, they, didn't, they didn't obey his words. They didn't hearken unto his voice. And all of this that, that he lays out in Deuteronomy 28 absolutely does come to pass. But look at how he summarizes it down in verse 65. And among these nations thou shalt find no ease. He's talking about the Gentiles. Neither shall the soul of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and a failing of eyes and a sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee and thou shalt fear day and night and shall have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even. And at the even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart wherewith thou shalt fear and for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. That was what he told Israel would be the result of them not listening and obeying his voice. And again, this was Old Testament. This was focused on Israel. This, those curses in there certainly don't apply to us. But this principle is true in both Old Testament and New Testament. If you are uninformed, if you are ignorant, or if you purposely ignore God's word, then the natural result of that is the fear of man. If you don't know what God says about tomorrow, then I understand why you're scared today. But when you do, when you know what God says about tomorrow, about our future, about his coming, about his kingdom, then you can have peace. You don't get so easily caught up in the temporal because you can more easily focus on the eternal. Psalm 119, verse 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life, and peace shall they add to thee. And listen, this is something that you can learn. You can take the time to become informed of God's word, what it says for you, what it says about fear, both the good and the bad. Both fear of the Lord and fear of man. This is something that you can learn. Deuteronomy 4.10 tells us that. It says, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, gather me the people together, and I will make them, listen, hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth and that they may teach their children. Listen, this is so important because our natural response, our natural reaction to, to fear is, is based upon how we feel, right? The world's definition, it's an unpleasant feeling, it's an unpleasant emotion. And so, so what happens is you base your response to that on how you feel. So I feel scared, so I'm going to do X, or I'm afraid, and that feeling leads me to do Y, whatever that might be. But whenever you are making decisions based on your feelings, you're in a position of trouble. We need to make our decisions based on the objective truth of God's word. And you can learn that. You can learn what to do with fear by learning what the Bible says. And you can learn how to not fear the wrong things, but instead fear the right things. And if, and if, and if you think in your mind, no, I, I don't know how to do that. I've tried. 
I can't do that. All I have to say to you is hear my words, that they may learn to fear me. It's what the Bible says. And that's the example we get from Jesus, by the way. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan tempts Jesus three times, trying to get him to fear the wrong things. And you, and you think, well, man, Jesus, didn't, Jesus wasn't afraid when, when Satan was tempting them. You only think that because you're still applying what, how the world defines fear, and you're applying it to your spiritual life. He was absolutely trying to get him to fear man and not fear his father. He was trying to get him to sin. It's what fear leads to, to get off the wall. He was trying to get him to, to, to fear man through pride. And what was Jesus' response to every one of those three temptations? Matthew 4, 4. But he answered and said, it is written. The second, the second temptation, Matthew 4, 7. Jesus said unto him again, said unto him, it is written again. The third temptation, Matthew 4, 10. Then said Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. He used God's word. And God wants you and me to do the same thing. When we're dealing with fear and the fear of man, if we're informed of God's word, we'll know how to respond. But listen, you, I mean, this obviously goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. You can't use what you don't know. You've got to care enough to spend time in God's word and walk with the Holy Spirit so he can teach you. Spend time with those that can teach you and teach you the right way and the right things, the, the word rightly divided. But the fact is God didn't give us a Bible to neglect it. He, he didn't give us a Bible so that we could carry it to church and make people think we spend time in it. He gave us a Bible that, so we could know him and be victorious in our Christian life and not have to live in fear of the things of this world. And so you can be about what he's about. And that brings us to our third truth about fear and safety. And that's true safety is found when you're involved in God's work. That's been Nehemiah's example all along. We saw last week that Nehemiah wouldn't come down off the wall when his enemies wanted to meet with him. And he said it was because he was involved in a great work. Verse 3, and I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And I want you to see how this applies to the section of Scripture we're in this morning. It's down in verse 14. It's framed in the negative sense, but look what it says. So these guys are trying to kill him. And Nehemiah prays, he says, My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalat according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets, that they would have put me in fear. You see, there, there were guys that were, that were opposed to God's work. And they had been opposed to God's work all along. And if there is safety when you are involved in God's work, let me tell you where there isn't safety. It's when you're opposed to God's work. And we're going to study this verse. This is another verse that we're going to study in much more detail next, next week. But this is Nehemiah's sixth prayer in this book. And he's asking the Lord to consider his enemy's work. It's actually the same request he made of the Lord regarding himself. In chapter 5, verse 19, Think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. And the fact is, we are either involved in the Lord's work or we're not. And, and, and you may not see it this way, but I will submit to you this morning that when you are not involved in God's work, you are actually opposed to God's work. 
There's no neutral ground here. It's the principle found in Matthew 12, verse 30. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. It's exactly what Jesus tells the Laodicea church in Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Joshua makes this same appeal. When he gathers the nation of Israel together at the end of his life, very popular verses many of us have in our house. He's given them sort of his last his last encouragement in Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, and I don't know if you know how he read that. He said, choose you this day. Are you, you're going to either serve the Lord or you're going to serve those that are opposed to the Lord. You don't get a middle ground choice and say, I'm not going to do either one of those. No, you're with him or you're against him. That's why, that's why God said in Revelation 3, I would that you were cold or hot because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. There's no middle ground. You're with him or you're against him. You're involved in the work of the Lord or you're not. So why don't you get involved in the work of the Lord? Why don't we take a stand for Jesus and not come down off the wall and not get scared by the things that we're facing in this life? And decide to just serve him with our life. Let's quit sitting on the sideline and trying to ride the middle. You can't serve God and mammon. But listen, if you serve the Lord in spirit, through his spirit, you will be safe and you will be secure. And you will have nothing to fear. Besides the Lord himself, which is a, which is a beautiful thing. And, and I can't promise physical safety and security. But I can promise something better, a life in Christ that glorifies Christ and that knows the love of Christ. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the safety and the security that I want. But it only comes as I am inside of God's will, informed of God's word, and then ultimately involved in God's work. And there's no true safety outside of those things. Because again, God's focus today is on the spiritual. It's on the eternal. And we want to just focus on the physical. Man, 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 God wants us in tune with him. God wants us in line with what he thinks. And inside his will, living the, the plan, working the plan that he has for us as we learn and spend time in his word. If, if the, the worst physical thing that happens to you 
what will happen is then you will one day stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ with joy in full safety and security because you lived your life for him, because you gave it to him. And he'll take care of that. You don't have to worry about that. Just like if Israel would have done what he told them to do, he absolutely would have taken care of them physically. God's going to take care of us too. But we have to do it according to how his word lays it out. We don't get to make the rules. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And as you're settling your heart and your mind right now, will you let it rest on Christ and the safety and security we find in him? And then ask yourself if you're spending the time you have left on this earth trusting in that. Or are you trusting in something else, anything else to keep you safe? And if you haven't been trusting in him, will you start doing that today? Will you get with him either at this altar or there in your pew and have a talk with the Lord and repent of your sins and get right with him this morning? We're getting ready to close out this service singing one final song in worship to the Lord. And the song that we're going to sing in a second has these words. It says, O soul, are thou weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There is light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and free. And the chorus says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Will you make that your prayer this morning? Turn your attention away from this world and all the fears surrounding it and focus your heart on fearing the Lord. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him.